You're listening to the Guest of Horror, and on this week's episode, I've been busy thinking about boy. guest of horror i am your host boris on each episode of this podcast i introduce you to someone within the horror community that i think is worth getting to know on this week's episode i am joined by carlin cook who wanted to talk about phantasm and uh it will actually be like a bit of a rolling start because we started to talk a little bit about sort of our our insecurities as content creators and uh, I figured hey this is good stuff so I pressed the recording and then we just sort of started so that's where the conversation starts uh, just so you know another thing I wanted to say is that this podcast has been pretty quiet over the past couple of months because uh, worldly events let's say and and there's just been a lot of stuff going on and I have not really felt the energy to um, to do this show, but I'm back and I'm really happy with this episode. Phantasm is such a fun, cool movie, and uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. Yeah, well, and and that's one of the things. Like, I'm sure you can tell. Like, I'm balding. So I basically have like a, a comb over in essence. And there are people who comment about that on my YouTube channel. And yes, I can wear a hat or do something to cover it up. But I also feel like for me, it's more important for people to just accept others as they are. And so for that reason, I don't want to cover it up. I just want people to see me how I am in my everyday life. And that's actually why my channel is just my name. Like I don't have any sort of special anything associated with it. It's just Carlin Cook, because I'm I'm just a person who wants to talk about horror. I think that's a great way to start the show. Do you want to do you want to tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and and what you do? Sure. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll backtrack like a little bit, give you like the origin story, so to speak, for anyone into comics. Um, so when I was in high school, I was in a English course, and we had to in groups do a deep dive analysis of certain books. I got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and loved it. And it kind of like wet my appetite a bit for not only horror, but really looking for thematics, thematic things and subtext within a horror story. Uh, Then when I got into college, I got more into film, just watching films with friends being introduced to things like one of my buddies, Matt Harvey, did a great job. He introduced me for the first time to Evil Dead and The Shining, which have amazing. And that just kind of changed my world a bit. I also ended up taking some courses in film, like film in war history was one of them. Uh, and then when I went to graduate school, I did a whole course on geography and film and the, how they kind of connect. And my thesis was actually an Akira Kurosawa song, uh, movie called Dersu Uzala and just looking at the analysis of drawing from that what what the difference is between people who are rural versus people who are city and what that kind of says about humans a human's uh relationship with nature and how we've kind of drifted apart from that um so I was into like analyzing film and then after college I got into a podcast briefly that was like film analysis with a friend it was called carlin and jordan's most excellent movie night because we just covered a bunch of different films but i liked the horror stuff more and then that kind of ended up falling apart and i was like i need to talk horror like i need to talk nerdy horror and there's no one who lives around me who i can do this with so i was like let me just as a creative release at least do a YouTube channel. So at least I'm getting it out of my body. Cause that's like how I've always felt. I need this creative literal release. Like if I can get the thoughts out in some form, like I can sleep at night <laughs> in essence. So um, that's what I just started doing. And I'm like, if it takes off, it takes off. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think I'm not, I'm not like wildly successful or anything, but I, I am very happy with the fact that I have anyone 
who is actually watching the content because it's a humbling thing for me. It's just kind of weird for me to think that there's so much we can do with our time as people. And some people are choosing to actually sit down and watch me talk to a camera. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, that's the same way I, I feel when anyone says they, they're listening to my podcast. I'm like, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Like people find you in weird ways and then they, they form a relationship with you in, in one way or another. Uh, and it's it's crazy. It's very interesting, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so, so you mentioned studying film. Um, mm -hmm. at, at, at that point, were you very much a horror fan or did that come a little bit later? Um, that was later in life. I always remember when I was younger, uh, I had watched like raised on like Scooby-Doo, the Adams family, the Munsters, stuff like that. So it was like horror for kids in a sense. And that was always my favorite stuff. Uh, but as I got older, my parents were very restrictive with what I was able to watch. Um, so it was much later in life where I really started to delve more into horror and understand that it's actually probably the most meaningful film genre out there. Uh, it, it has the most swipes at, you know, societal ills and actually like breaking down what's going on in society at any given time. I mean, think about any other film genre and you're just like, like comedies, yeah. like how, how much subtext or, or theme or any themes are involved in comedy films. Not a whole lot. They're just trying to make you laugh or like romance. It, it's all about one thing. Horror, it just, it covers so much and it's so creative. That's the other thing. So much creativity. Yeah. Um, I thought about something. I, I think I probably mentioned this before, um, but When, uh, when, when, uh, you know, it was a big controversy around the 70s and 80s of like all these slasher movies, they're called dead teenager movies. They're so, uh, they, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of big critics would call them like misogynistic and things like that. And it's so interesting now going back and looking at them, and it's like, well, were they really more misogynistic than the action films that were coming out around that time? The, the, the comedies, you know, like there are some, some wild stuff coming out in the 80s where you look at it now and you're like geez i mean that's a that's a great point it really is and that's kind of something that i know there's this societal struggle between if something is now offensive to say let's not partake in that anymore and like i get that i understand because like that's not who we are as a society anymore and a lot of the times it's a good thing but i also think that films done differently and with a different societal sensibility are important to still have around because then you can see them and understand where we were and how far we've come and also understand that we have so much further to go in so many respects. So I think it's, I think it's important with any film to just understand the context uh, that it was made within, you know, especially societally, like what was going on in the world at that time. Yes. And I also think like, it's important to like, you can, you can, you can look at a thing and have two thoughts. You can say, yes, th this is problematic or whatever you want to call it. You're like, Hey, this has some, might, might have some values or have some themes that you don't like. And then you can also say it's a very entertaining movie. Like you can have two thoughts in your head at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely. Well, and the other thing is it's very interesting because sometimes what society sees in a film just changes over time too. I think a great example of that is Nightmare on Elm Street 2. You know, people just saw it as one thing way back when it came out. And now it's turned into this totally different, like queer culture love story in a sense, like to that community. And, and a lot of these people are really embracing it and did when they were young. It's just now people can talk about it because Societally, we've come much further. It's it's a better situation now to actually talk about that stuff. I was wondering if you had, because this is something I've been thinking about recently. If you have any films that you're like, this this inspires me. Like this is why I want to talk about this stuff. Um, or like for me, like I'm a musician, but I'm my music is inspired by so many films, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, right? Of like John Carpenter stuff or David Cronenberg, a lot of like 80s synth stuff, which is funny because I make rock music, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of like those, those sort of themes and move, moods in my uh, music. I wonder if you have sure. any like films uh, that, yeah, are inspiring to you. 
So I think people can see it like in, in some of my reviews where I, you know, each, each of my videos, I should have said this earlier, each of my videos is a literal like deep analysis dive into each of the films that I'm covering, usually between 20 and 30 minutes. But I think people can probably tell the ones I'm most jazzed about and most inspired to actually do the review for. But off the top of my head, um, just films that not just are really well done, but like from a subtext standpoint are so rich. Um, The original Candyman. uh, That's one I really enjoyed doing kind of recently. That was phenomenal. Really inspired me to like do an amazing job. And I was excited when I was doing the review. Um, The Shining, you know, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining is another one. Uh, More recently, Midsommar by Ari Aster. I mean, I, I felt proud of myself. I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I felt proud of myself because when I got out of the theater from seeing it, I was like, that's about going through a bad relationship yeah. and coming out on the other end. Yeah. And I was talking to my buddy about that. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I guess I could see that. And then I saw an interview with Ari Aster like months later, and he was saying that it, that's what it was. And I was like, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. Not amazing for me, but amazing that I, he was able to convey that. Yeah. that. Like I could pick it up because he did such a good job. <laughs> and then another, I think another very recent one was uh, Assassination Nation, which gets panned so much and not enough people are talking about. Phenomenal film. I loved Assassination Nation. <laughs> it is. Like, it's it's not just that there's so much, well, I, you yeah. know, there's not even a lot of subtext. It's very in your face yes. about a lot of what's going on. but. It's beautiful. Like anyone who's watching Euphoria on HBO is, which, you know, it's super popular right now. That's where the filmmaker got to start making Assassination Nation. Phenomenal film. Amazing. Yes. And that was one of those films where I I felt a little bad about it being like, you know, all the um, articles and, and, and sort of discussions around that film were very much about about look at how much money this movie didn't didn't make. Look at how much money this yeah. movie lost. <laughs> uh, and and hey, you know some things are destined to be cult classics. And I think that's one of them. Yeah, well, and that's and that's exactly the thing. Is a lot of films that are very highly regarded nowadays did terrible in the box office yeah. when they came out. Yeah, I mean, thinking back to a documentary I watched recently, the Behind the Mask, the Boris Karloff documentary on Shutter right now, like he wasn't that popular back then for his horror movie stuff. Like he, he became more popular as his life went on. But when those films were originally coming out, they weren't extremely well thought of. It's just over time, they've gotten a lot better. And I mean, also tying into like Edgar Allan Poe, you know, Edgar Allan Poe's writings weren't that popular until he was dead and gone, unfortunately. Well, that's sadly the case with a lot of artists, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. Oh, I also wanted to ask you uh, if you have, like, a, a favorite horror franchise. I notice a lot of pinhead stuff in, in the background of your videos. I do love the Hellraiser franchise, especially because it's the first time when I first saw that franchise. It was the first time I had really seen horror and sexuality brought together in that way. And I'd never experienced anything like that before. So it just, it was so new and so different and so interesting that I was just like, how can you look away from this? Like, it is horrific at times and it is scary at times, but like, you can't stop watching because it's just so interesting. It's magnetizing. And I think part of that's the writing and part of that is the way Doug Bradley does the character of Pinhead, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, that I, I do love Hellraiser, but I do think that phantasm is my favorite franchise of all time uh which is why i am excited to talk about the first phantasm film uh just because yeah and i i full disclosure i have not reviewed any of the phantasm films on my channel yet and a reason for that is i'm afraid to in a sense because i love the franchise so much that i'm afraid i'm not going to do it justice yeah, so I, I mean, I under, I understand. We're we're this is not a review. This is just a discussion. You don't have to worry. Yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did want to ask you, uh, j- just keeping on the Hellraiser theme. Uh, I've seen Hellraiser one through four, and then I stopped. Are any of the direct to DVD ones worth watching? 
I don't think so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not not really. I mean, and I say this in a lot of my reviews, like every film is worth watching at least once, at least just to figure out how you feel personally about that film. Because, um, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into every film. You know, you're not going to love everything, but certain films that a lot of people hate, like you may end up liking for one reason or another, like not horror related or anything, but for some reason I am madly in love with the film Hackers. Uh <laughs> Don't know why, but I love it. Like, I watch it at least once a year. I love it. Just bought it on Blu-ray recently. So, yeah, I mean, but for me personally, I would say after the fourth one, it's not great. The first two are, like, the best. Yeah. Hands down. (laughs) I rewatched Hellraiser 3 fairly recently uh, because I was like, I'm not sure if I've seen this one. Uh, and then I got to the Cenobite who's shooting out CDs out of his head. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. I remember this. This is stupid. I love it. <laughs> it's, so, it's so dated. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the other thing is, you know, watching it nowadays, you can watch it with the perspective of it just being bad. Yeah. Or, or like certain aspects of it being like so bad that it's good. And that's actually something that I started getting into. Um, not too long ago, maybe about 10 years ago or so is when I discovered that you can like a bad movie. Yeah. Like it was just this kind of like the light clicked in my head when I watched the movie, the room by Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> yeah. where I was just like, this film is terrible. And then I'm like, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Can I experience <laughs> films this way? And then it opened a whole new door and there are so many, so bad. It's good horror films. I mean, Wow, like this, some people say the stuff, but I don't want to put the stuff because the stuff actually kind of is an actual good film. Yeah. But there are like bad, awesome aspects too. Yeah, of course. I feel like my movie watching life got a lot easier when I could say, oh, this is bad. I like it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's just become more acceptable now as well. Like people in, you know, talk about like the nineties or something. If people were like, Oh, this film's terrible, but I love it. People would look at them in a weird way. But I feel like now, especially in the horror community, if you say, Oh, this movie's awful and I love it. People are like, right on. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's great. That's great. Yeah. Part of the reason I love the horror community so much. Well, before we get into phantasm, I did want to ask you, uh, I went snooping on your YouTube channel a little bit. Sure. And I, I noticed that your most popular video was about Shudder, uh, where, <laughs> where you essentially, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, where you essentially said that like, hey, if you're a horror fan, you should be subscribed to Shudder. Right. And how long ago was that? That was, uh, according to YouTube, that was three years ago. Uh, so I wanted to ask you if your feelings have changed since then, or if you have any other reflections about the service, uh, now that we are like three years after you made that video. Um, I'll give you everything. Yeah. Everything I, I have been thinking about shutter, but I'll also tell you how I got started on shutter so much. And that video, I mean, it's crazy to me that that video is so popular because it's very outdated at this point. Like people are still watching it. And Shudder has changed so much in three years, like an insane amount. So I started watching Shudder just on like a trial period, like four or five years ago uh, with a a coupon code that I got through Rue Morgue magazine, which is a magazine out of Canada that I read all the time. Love it. Have been a subscriber for 14 years now. I love that magazine. So good. But um, gave it a shot. And at that point, they didn't have much. It was like really a lot of films you've never even heard of. And then um, Craig Engler showed up and took over at Shudder. And I feel like that's when a lot of stuff changed. And then Sam Zimmerman came in as well around the same time. And those two working together have brought so much interesting content in. Like not just like they get some bigger stuff here or there, which I understand why they don't do a lot of that because it's expensive. Um, but they've been really good about doing these deep dives into lesser known obscure films that are like so bad they're good, but are also legitimately amazing. And I just feel like they've been so good at doing that type of stuff. And then obviously, you know, like Joe Bob Briggs, The Last Drive-In, and their own shows like Cursed Films, um, stuff like that. But uh, so I'm still loving what they're doing for the most part. The only thing that's bothering me about Shudder at the moment 
is that I feel like they've gotten themselves into this thing where they want to put out a Shutter exclusive or original film every week. And I think they're starting to grab some stuff that's not the greatest uh, just because they need to fill space. And I, I'll just call it out. The scary of 61st, I don't understand why they purchased that film. Like, I, I understand creativity went into that, work went into that, and I have respect for the filmmakers. I just don't understand why it's on Shudder. I really don't. Um, although I know Vinegar Syndrome put it out, so I know Shudder has a relationship with Vinegar Syndrome as well as a pretty good relationship with Severin Films. So that's where they get a lot of their stuff, their licensing. Yeah. Okay. That, but yeah. Yeah. That, that is interesting. I guess I haven't really thought about, there is an amount of fluff there that I haven't really been paying attention to. Uh, but I have been, I have been uh, like really surprised by the quality of like their documentaries, like, like the cursed oh, film yeah. or, or mm. behind the monsters. I think there was one, like they just yeah. have a lot of interesting documentaries and stuff like that. I really appreciate. Yeah. And that appeals a lot to people like myself and a lot of people in the horror community who just want to know more about these films. They want to get nerdier about these films. They want those backstories. And to me, probably the most fun and interesting one recently was the Boris Karloff documentary that I referenced earlier. Uh, I didn't know that much about him as a person. And after watching that film, so much made sense to me and so much, um, it also made sense for what was happening in the world at that time too. And it, one of the things that proved to me is that studio uh, film studios have always been terrible, really. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's, if you haven't, if people have not seen it, they should definitely watch that. It's amazing. But yeah, you are correct. A lot of their documentary type stuff has been phenomenal really. And I would say also while we're on the topic of stuff they're putting up, um, Dragula is a very awesome show. It's literally like if people are familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race, it's literally that, but updated for horror aspect. So it's like they focus on like glamour, horror and filth. And it's a lot of fun. It, and it's like obviously like a competition show. Um, really, really good. And they had seasons, season four on there as well as their resurrection special. But now in April, they're adding seasons one through three which season one was on YouTube and seasons two and three were on Netflix. So now they're all consolidated to shutter. So I would say if people have not seen Dragula, super entertaining, super fun, cool watch through all four seasons in April. It's great. And I mean, that's fascinating because I feel like if that was a show made by people who didn't love horror, it would be terrible. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and I, because there's so many like, Oh man, what like MTV would do? Like, hey, this is like our scare tactics show. This is a prank show, mm -hmm. or like there would be like these attempts at making horror TV, uh, like like sort of what we would call a trashier TV, I guess, reality TV uh, series and stuff like that. I always thought like this could be interesting if you just have the right people doing it. Like I think I think like a like a quiz show could be, work really well on Shutter or something sure. like that. Yeah. Uh, like if if they just do it correctly, yeah. So lots of potential for like really fun stuff, not necessarily not necessarily just like feature films. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Um, but do you want to talk about Phantasm? <laughs> I definitely want to talk about Phantasm. <laughs> I did rewatch it this week in preparation, and it's still amazing. I was I was going to ask you, why did you pick this movie? Because it's part of my favorite franchise of horror films, and I, I just don't feel like it gets enough love. It gets love in the horror community, it's just not enough. And if you think about like collectibles and clothing and stuff like that, like you see plenty of Friday the 13th, you see plenty of Nightmare on Elm Street, and an hell you know hellraiser a bunch of those you don't see phantasm that much and i think you know i don't i don't really 100 know why i think maybe it's just because it's kind of weird the story is very odd but that's really what hooked me when i first watched it is that it's so out there and it's such like a weird thing that the creativity of it just just made me fall in love basically and yeah that's why i had to pick it 
I, I think it will be difficult, you know, to discard the rest of the franchise for this discussion. But I think we should keep a focus to that first film. Uh, could you like run us through it? Like, give us a logline essentially. Like, tell us what it's about. Yeah. So it's basically about Mike, who is the main character, who's a kid, uh, teenager, has lost his parents. That's basically where you pick up is that he doesn't have his parents, which I think is a very important part of the film. Uh, living with his brother Jody who actually you kind of get the idea that Jody's not always around because he makes some sort of comment at one point about like being back in town for a while and then Reggie Bannister who's the friend of Jody who's kind of helping out with with watching Mike uh people start dying in their town and Mike sees a funeral director uh the tall man played by Angus Scrim who is very imposing and very creepy looking and finds out that he is doing something nefarious with the bodies of all these people who have been dying recently and then he and jody and reggie investigate further and get into uh well they get in far too deep and discover what's really going on at the funeral parlor in their town and, and hijinks ensue <laughs> yeah basically and and like that's fine to say with it hijinks too because it does get kind of wacky but it's also scary at the same time so i wanted to ask when did you first see this movie and and did you immediately fall in love with it it had to be i mean over 10 years ago probably around around 15 years ago or so when i first saw it because people i'm 40 years old at this point people need to understand that i didn't start really watching a lot of horror films until i was in like my thirties probably. Um, and part of that being just because my film life was stunted because of how restrictive my parents were when I was young. Uh, so discovering things have been very delayed for me <laughs> as far as film goes, but yeah, so it's probably been about 15 years ago. I, I do remember immediately falling in love with it just because it was so odd, uh, but also interesting and scary, but at the core of it, there's something that comes up in a lot of horror films that spoke to me, which is kind of a lamentation on uh, death and, and trauma tied to death. You know, the main character, Mike, has been, his life's been destroyed by, by his parents passing away. And then within the course of the film, can we talk spoilers? On yeah, the, yeah, okay. for, for sure. It's an old film. I figure that'd be yes, fine. Yes, yes. Um, and then, you know, then he loses Jody within the film. Uh, and there's a little bit of debate. If you just stick to the first film, there's a little bit of debate whether the, the tall man actually took Jody or, or whether it was a driving accident, which is what Reggie says at the end of the film. But it's, it's looking at his trauma and kind of bringing it into physical form in, in form of the tall man is how I see it. Uh, and there's actually a really interesting shot where they're in the mausoleum and in the forefront is Mike and in the back is the tall man and they see each other and they start moving towards each other and they're mirroring each other's movements. So I kind of feel like that was supposed to be a representation of that being a part of Mike. Like that's his trauma. That's how he's dealing with death and the role of death in his life, like in physical form because of that mirroring with their, like they are one in a sense. And if you think about it, like it speaks to one of the biggest fears of almost everyone, which is death, you know, whether it's your own death or the death of, of people you love, because it's going to happen to all of us at some point. And for me, it speaks to me very personally because I have no religion. I was raised with no religion and I, I don't have a religion at all. And, I, and I'm fine with that, but it also makes life scarier <laughs> in a sense, because what is death then? You know, like I believe that what death is, is like before you were born. And if you try and conceptualize what that was, that's scary. Um, so this film, just speaking to so much about trauma and death and everything, um, it speaks to me for that reason. And it even goes further to be like, what if your death wasn't just, dying and then your body's buried what if it was some guy from another planet basically shrinks you down and makes you one of his minions for nefarious purposes yeah like death could be worse <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. I, it's interesting. I think my, my takeaway is very simple. Like what I got from this movie watching it now is very, very similar, but a little bit different. I don't think I thought about it as much about being uh, about death, but it's, you know, um, Mike is essentially always being left alone. Yeah. You know, his parents dying, that's obviously not their fault, right? Yeah, but right, it, yeah. like in his mind, like, like they left him. And now he has this older brother who is like, you know, I don't want to be the person being like, oh, he's a dick for leaving. He might have his reasons. I don't know. He might not feel ready to take care of a kid. There are all these things. But like the way he's going about it, he's not telling him. He is like, it is very clear that Mike looks up to him so much and he should at least treat him with the respect he deserves and saying like, hey, this is what I got to do. Uh, you are going to live at your aunt's house, but he doesn't. He he he, he, he sort of runs away from that confrontation throughout this whole movie until he, he is suddenly ripped away. Yeah. Um. So, yes, this is like one of those films you can analyze and and uh, really appreciate from from that angle. I will say, when I first watch it, watched it, I was probably too young to pick up on this stuff, and I think I think. This is maybe the reason why it's a little bit un- underappreciated in in horror circles because you know when I was younger I I loved Friday the Thirteenth I loved Halloween I loved Nightmare on Elm Street I loved Scream you know like like those those movies were very easy to get <laughs> on a fundamental uh, point and with this one it's like it's so weird and and dreamlike it has a lot I think it's very interesting to look at this. As an uh, for me, as an adult horror fan, having seen so much Italian horror uh, and really feeling like, even down to the music, like the music in this is incredible. It also sounds like Goblin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally does. Actually, I think the sorry to interject, but I think the beginning song that does come back again within the film. Uh, sounds very much kind of Halloween, like John Carpenter Halloween theme song esque. Yeah, for sure. And there's also the whole thing at the at the end where they're 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 going through the portal, and you can you can sort of see what this other world is. It really reminded me of like the Beyond, Lucio Fulci's the oh, Beyond, okay, yeah, um, and and stuff like that. And obviously, Phantasm came all before a lot of these movies. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing is how many times have we as horror fans watch movies where the first time around, like we see them and experience them in one way. And then the second time around, or even fifth or sixth or whatever, you're experiencing it in a totally different way, or you're picking up on things where you're just like, Oh my gosh, like that's subtext or that happened like this time watching phantasm. And I don't know how many times I watch phantasm. I noticed that the first guy who gets hit with one of those spheres and it just, you know, sucks all his blood out in grand fashion. Um, he pees himself after he's dead. And I never noticed that until this last time I watched. Like, you just see this puddle of urine just leaking out from his body. And I'm like, that is a lot of detail. Because when people die, they void their bowels. And nobody else is really, I'm not saying nobody else, but barely anyone else is putting that type of detail in their films. And it's just interesting yes for sure and that's also like one of the things that made me think of uh italian art not to harp on that point too much but like having this really beautiful film and and music and it's very dreamlike and then having this really horrific scenes of violence and and and, and, uh, with with that level of attention to detail it's also interesting like i don't know a ton about the making of this film but it's very it's an independent film made out outside of the hollywood system right um how how much can you speak to that like the the making of it i haven't like deep dive researched any phantasm stuff since i haven't done it for my channel because that's usually when i learn the most about films and then retain some of it but not all of it but i did listen to an interview with don coscarelli some years ago on the postmortem podcast with mick garris which is a wonderful podcast um But he was saying how he has always preferred to work on his own, you know, like not work with studios because he just didn't want the red tape. He wanted more of his own creative freedom. 
So there is some information in that specific podcast about how he pulled some stuff off, but I really can't remember it since it's been so many years. But um, I mean, what Don Coscarelli's done has never ceased to amaze me, especially since he stays independent. And, you know, maybe that is part of why there isn't as much love for that franchise, because it had a lot less marketing. It has a lot less money behind it and a lot less people pushing it over time. I ended up watching the first one and the second one uh, for this the show we're doing right now. Uh, and, and it's very, you know, the second one had a bigger budget. I, the Universal logo was in front of it. So, um, and, and uh, it, that's that one is more that one because it's more straightforward it almost feels weirder <laughs> uh, because yeah uh, apparently there was this whole thing of like they weren't allowed to have dream sequences which was such a big part of the first one i do love the second one i i kind of fight with myself whether i like the first or second one most and there is kind of like this back and forth but i do believe that the whole franchise is quite interesting you know, you're not going to feel the same way about every single one of the entries in the franchise, but for me, they're all good. And even Ravager, the final installment, the fifth and final installment that a lot of people dogged on because of the super low budget that you can tell, I think the story's still there. And I'm going to be honest, I got emotional at the end of that film, you know, partially because of the actual content of it, but partially because it was kind of like, the end to a franchise that I love so much. And, you know, I'm not afraid to say that because I also think that we should, you know, especially as men be able to talk about being emotional. Um, Cause it's been a, t- it's been a taboo thing, but nah, I like, I get, I get misty at certain films. Yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to like do a whole, uh, a whole thing, but how how would you rank the series? Are there any sequels you hold in really high regard? I guess two. Uh, um, I mean, I think it pro for me it besides like my flip flopping on one and two, I think it basically plays out in the order that the films came out. Honestly, um, with three and four, they get confusing. <laughs> Which is another reason why it it will be interesting when I eventually do cover those films for my channel, just because, yeah, it's going to take a lot of brain power to figure some of this stuff out, because there's a lot of, like, what is reality, what isn't reality, what's what order are these events actually in? Like, yeah, it gets a little bit confusing, but I think that's another reason why people a lot of times will, like, watch maybe just the first two and, and then maybe try the third one and be like, uh, no, no thanks. Another thing this uh, movie or, or franchise as a whole made me think about was, was Child's Play. Um, because like with Child's Play, you know, this whole franchise is it's spearheaded by one person. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting to like watch a franchise evolve a little more, at least a little more organically than, you know, a Friday the 13th where a new team comes in and it's like, we're doing this crazy thing. And then two years later, another team comes in and it's like, well, that was stupid. We're doing another thing. Yeah, I, I think you can like you can sense it in a lot of those franchises if it's coming from one brain or yeah. multiples because it, yeah, like you're saying, it kind of does feel more organic. It seems like there's like a focused story that the one person is really intent on telling versus when you bring in a bunch of other people, like it starts to feel scattered a lot of the times because other people come in and they have a totally different idea. And there are certain times in franchises where They'll just like negate <laughs> yes. things that have already come up in the previous films. There's just because they're like, I don't feel like going that direction or I don't want to address whatever question was left unanswered. Let's just do yeah. my version right now. So, yeah, I think I think when it is one voice speaking like a Mancini or a Coscarelli, um, I think you can definitely feel that. And I feel like it also just ends up feeling more personal in that sense, because a lot of these other ones like I love the Friday the 13th films and I love Nightmare on Elm Street films, but a lot of the times they just feel like you, you could tell they were trying to yes. make money. Yeah. What's, what's the gimmick for this one, right? This one's in 3d, this one, right. There's yes. telekinetic powers. This one, there's the going to New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And I will say for the record, like 
your your friendly neighborhood Uncle Pete, he is the guy for for Chucky stuff. Uh, and he is disappointed in me a little bit because I've only seen the first Child's Play movie. Oh, really? Yeah, eventually I'll get to him. Uh, he also just recently was like, are you kidding me? I've only seen the first one and then the most recent one of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I have a lot of horror blind spots that I need to get to, but I find myself getting distracted um, with my channel. Like I'm literally like a kid in a store where like the mom's like, please stay close to me. And then she turns around and you like wandered off somewhere. Like I have an idea of films that I need to, or want to review and then all of a sudden I see a movie like on Shutter or somewhere else. And I'm like, ooh, a, a shiny new thing. I'm going to review that instead. Yeah. There is something really fun, though, about following a whole sequence and like really deep diving on them. Like recently, back in December, I did, for the first time in my life, watch through all of the Silent Night, Deadly Night films. And that was fun. That was so much fun. Uh, I expected to not have as much fun as I did, but man. A lot of those films, except the third one, really endeared themselves to me. I think the third one just like could be thrown away, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are like separate stories yeah. after yeah. two, right? Yeah, one and two are tied together, and they try to tie three into two, one and two, and actually, it's there's like a lot of footage. Uh, in two, there's a lot of footage. I think in three, there's a little bit of footage from the first one, but they really like to, you know cannibalize their own films in that franchise yeah those movies those movies are insane yeah, <laughs> yeah i remember watching um silent night deadly night part two and just when, when he goes on that mayhem it's not even set at christmas right he just goes on a killing spree for like 10 minutes and after and that's after you've seen uh like 30 minute <laughs> recap of the first movie yeah yeah i mean bonkers it's it's something yeah. Um, the I think the if we go back to Phantasm, I think the one thing that like really dates the movie, or or it may may have been an issue at the time as well. Uh, I think the acting is incredibly uneven. Uh, yeah. Some some of the acting is like amazing. Like there's a scene where um I forget his name, but the 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 um person who plays Mike, mm -hmm. he is being dragged to his room by his brother, and he's essentially screaming, you know, you are going to leave me alone like like you always do, essentially. And, and you know, it's really heartfelt. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and that one, like, hit. Like, that, that was sad. And then there are other scenes that just feel incredibly goofy <laughs> because, because of the acting. Um, it's almost like the less screen time they have, the, the worse the acting is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear that. And, and I mean, yeah, I mean, that's independent filmmaking, right? Yeah. You are not, especially before like the internet, right? You don't, you're not, you're probably going into your local theater group and being like, Hey, do you want to act in this movie? And I will say like the later on installments of Phantasm, actually that individual, the guy who played Mike, uh, who I also don't remember his name. Um, he, his acting does get worse i think that's fascinating okay, um, okay. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like like i appreciate that you stuck with the same actors for everything yeah. like there is a really cool aspect to it that way but at the same time like maybe recasting would have been good except actually it was recast for the second one yeah and then the third one they bring back the original mike well um is there anything else you'd like to say about phantasm no not really i i just think it's a film that needs to be experienced by everyone at least to make up your mind you know are you not a fan are you a fan um oh but i also do need to say that i was extremely happy a, a bunch of years back when they finally got a really nice blu-ray box set release of phantasm and a lot of people don't know that that was because of jj abrams um, he was a big Phantasm fan and realized that nobody was picking this up for like a good box set Blu-ray release. So he had his company, Bad Robot, go out and do it and give it a really nice kind of new sheen to it all. So that was amazing. Yeah, that's true. I, I think the first time I saw this, it was on a pretty crappy DVD. Um, and, and so, yeah, being able to see it remastered, it's 
Awesome. And speaking to that, you know, JJ Abrams sort of spearheading this project of, of restoring it. Uh, I do think like, I know it's a little sacrilegious to say like they should remake something, but I think like a, a remake of Phantasm could work really well. Um, especially in today when we have things like Stranger Things or like there's this whole 80s nostalgia and uh or in Stephen King nostalgia because I feel like this movie has a lot of that DNA um of like young kids getting into too much uh, trouble uh and and uh, and otherworldly demons and 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 things like that like I think there's I think there's an angle there where you can make it uh either a remake or like a, a Netflix show or something uh, because the world of Phantasm is really fascinating it is and it's interesting you say that because I hadn't ever thought about doing a remake of Phantasm being a good idea until I saw the movie The Mortuary Collection by Ryan Spindell on Shudder and Clancy Brown's performance in that film as Montgomery Dark. I saw that and I was like, this is it. He would be the perfect new tall man. And then from that moment forward, I was like, a a Phantasm redo would be amazing as long as Clancy Brown is the tall man he could pull that off amazingly. And then you could definitely cast the other roles uh, pretty easily after that. The tall man just has to be the right person. And Clancy Brown is that person. Uh, But also interestingly enough, I just saw actually earlier this week, um, Don Coscarelli on Twitter asking anyone if uh, they know of any good game companies who would want the IP for Phantasm to make a Phantasm video game. Which I I would buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like thinking what that would be. <laughs> I mean, I would hope you could play as the tall man and be able to throw those spheres because I could see it being a case where you can throw the, the sphere and then you can see the POV of the sphere itself and track people down. Oh, right. It would be like a, like a bullet, bullet cam thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you could even set it up like a... Are you familiar with the game Dead by Daylight? Yep, yep. Um, you could set it up like Dead by Daylight, basically, and have people trying to survive against the tall man. So one person plays the tall man, the other people play survivors in a mausoleum setting. It could be amazing. Yeah, I was when you mentioned Dead by Daylight, I was thinking like, hey, they could they, they could probably do like a tall man DLC skin thing. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's a great idea. I should tweet that to or you <laughs> yeah. should tweet tweet yeah. that to Don Coscarelli and say, see if they would do a DLC. Yes make a good make some money (laughs) don coscarelli yeah your idea i'll let you handle that you know have your people talk to don coscarelli's people yes yes my my people (laughs) (laughs) well um i do realize i haven't said anything about angus grim in this role as the tall man and uh that was one of those things when i when i mentioned the uneven acting uh like he is just incredible (laughs) Uh, and I, I don't think I can, I can say too much stuff and be original here because a lot of people obviously uh, know how great his performance is. But I, you know, even now, like just the last, you know, ten minutes of of that uh, first Phantasm movie, he he is terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you listen to the film on like really great speakers it's boy and you know it's echoing all over the place it's really really great stuff. well and like the creepiest most iconic part of the movie the first one at least when he's walking down the street and mike sees him and he stops when reggie's unloading ice cream from his ice cream truck and you have all the the cold air coming out in in the, like a steam form from the ice cream truck and the tall man standing right behind it, just like staring at Mike. It's, it's terrifying. And it, yeah, he just did the role so well. I'm really glad that he was able to be the tall man throughout all the films. And he passed away not long after the the fifth and final one came out. Right. Uh, which is sad. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask, did they have to do any like weird trick filming? Because no, of that, or no. Like he they... actually got all his, all his stuff done before he passed in those instances it just makes you wonder like were they keep like somehow staying alive just to finish the project you know what i mean yeah yeah like it seems like a weird thing to think about but i think about those things every now and then well yeah i mean yeah 
Like you hear all the time about like, and this is dark, but the like o- older couples like dying within days of each other, right? Yeah. Of like when their spouse passes away, and it's like, well, uh, and well, then the, the grief kind of kills them. So. But that's that's not too weird to talk about, really, because I mean, the horror community. I mean, we're dealing with death all the time in these films, and I think for my personal relationship with horror, like I think that's part of why I love it so much is that it makes me a bit more comfortable with the concept of death because I am so afraid of it because it is such an unknown for me personally. Um, But also like, I think it'd be good if the horror community kind of had more, well, everyone actually had more conversation about death and being at what people are referring to now as death positive about like not trying to view it as something that's so totally scary because it's going to happen. Like no one's going to cheat death at some point. We're all gone. Um, I know there are some books out there now that have been coming out recently about, you know, being a little more death positive. So I agree. Um, before we wrap up, uh, is there anything you have up and coming uh, on your channel or things like that you want to shout out? So n- at this point, probably not just because I am usually only filming like a week in advance for the most part. But I will at some point do the Phantasm series on my channel. Um, At the moment, I've been going pretty hard on Italian horror, specifically Giallo films and Giallo-esque films. That's how I call them, like Giallo-inspired films. So um, I might be, I'm thinking about stepping away from that for a little bit and then eventually going back because I've actually been doing this solid for like a year and a half at this point. And I'm getting a little bit burnout on that genre at first, I didn't know there were that many <laughs> that many Giallo films. But yeah, there's a lot more than you think. Um, so when I do step away from it, I think what I'm going to focus on is like every Sunday putting up a review of some film in a franchise. So like ones that I literally have the physical copies of that I want to get to are Phantasm, are Critters, uh, probably Puppet Master. And then I also have, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. Although I'm not in a huge hurry to get to those because I feel like those have been done to death as far as reviews go. And that's kind of another thing with my channel is that I usually just kind of watch more of things that I want to watch and review. Although I will take recommendations. If enough people comment on my channel and say, hey, could you review this? Then I will. Like that's what happened with the newer uh, Texas Chainsaw film. I wasn't going to watch and review it, but I had a bunch of people ask my opinion on it. So I was like, okay, I'll watch and review it. That's fine. Okay. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here. I yeah, had a really fun too. time. Uh, I mean, with, immediately when you said phantasm, I'm like, <laughs> fuck yeah. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Yeah. This is uh, the, the type of like weird horror that I really love. So it's a really fun yeah. conversation. And, and uh, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. If you have any questions about the show, hell, maybe even you want to be on the show, you can reach out to me. I am at Guest of Horror on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.